Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. We're in Amos, and we've been doing Amos uh, for seven weeks now. And, of course, now we're in chapter 8. And uh, Amos, like all the prophets, uh, and we'll probably do Nahum next. Uh, that's a very short chapter, but uh, we're going to go into it in a little bit more depth so that you can see how these prophets are all saying pretty much the same thing. The, the problem in the world, the problem in Israel, the problem in mankind is that we keep, like the dog, returning to our vomit and, uh, you know, the pig to his mire. And what is that mire? Uh, basically, it's legal charity. And we talked about that in Amos 5. That's where we brought that up, legal charity. And uh, what is legal charity? It sounds, you know, is there, if there's a legal charity, is there an illegal charity? And of course, in, um, Amos 5, we, we go through and we talk a little bit about that. We introduce that term, legal charity. And, uh, it has to do with the idea of the state providing for the needy of society. If we remember now, religion just just 200 years ago, plus 2,000 years ago, plus 3,000 years ago, was defined in many places as the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Now, what's your duty to your fellow man is to love your neighbor as yourself. Moses said it. Jesus said it. Basically, we were seeing how John the Baptist was introducing this idea of taking care of one another through charity. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, you share one of your coats. You choose to share one of your coats. Now, you can do this in a lot of different ways, but it's charity. You freely give what you have received. You share what you have. That's not legal charity. Legal charity is uh, statutory charity, compelled charity, forced charity. And if you go read our article on Saul, Saul was, his kingdom was not going to stand because he forced an offering. Of course, now he forced an offering to provide for his military army that was going to take care of the enemy that he saw coming up and going to, uh, uh, challenge uh, the livelihood and uh, and well-being of Israel. He was afraid that they would come and his army was not quite ready and he was going to need more supplies and more assistance. And uh, he forced an offering. And because of that foolish thing, as Samuel calls it, his kingdom would not stand. It was doomed. It was doomed from the beginning. Now, can you imagine now if you were going to have a military to defend the United States or Australia? You said, well, we're only going to be taking free will offerings for the support of the military. 
it would be a different country. It doesn't mean you couldn't do it. It just means it would be a different country, a different mindset in the people. And I, I often tell the story of the fact that they needed mechanical ambulances during World War One because all they had was horse-drawn ambulances. And that wasn't going to cut it with artillery and everything else. Horse-drawn ambulances were not very reliable. Horses got tired. They got injured. They got hurt. Uh, they got frightened. And uh, so they needed mechanical ambulances. In other words, automobiles, trucks that would haul injured soldiers from the front lines back to staging areas where they could receive medical care. And so where were they going to get these? Well, of course, you just tax the people and then the government buys them and, uh, you know, puts out a contract and buys them. And then they they draft guys and they put them into the army and they drive the ambulances. That isn't what they did. Charity bought 2,000 ambulances and paid for the drivers in World War One. You know, one of those drivers was Walt Disney. And we've all heard of Walt Disney, but that's not that long ago. Now, you can you can go to a lot of college graduates and even high school graduates even more so, and you can ask them who was in World War One, Who did we fight in World War One, And you would be shocked at how many cannot answer that question, even when it's multiple choice. At least I was. And people actually did this. And they went out and discovered a lot of people didn't know who we fought in World War One. They don't know anything about it. They've graduated from high school. Some of them were actually political majors in college. <laughs> Not they hadn't graduated yet, but they had no clue. And you, it's astounding. Your kids are not learning anything. But uh, they certainly aren't going to learn that the ambulances they were using, the mechanical ambulances, were donated by private charity, by people donating money to buy those ambulances for the soldiers. We don't even think in those terms anymore. We think that's that's ridiculous. Well, the government just buys them. Government does everything. And that's part of the transition of the mindset of society. You can't even imagine... A military supported by free will offerings. You have to be involved in such a military. And the truth is, if everybody in America were actually doing what Christ said to do, that would not only be possible, it would be likely. You, you can't imagine, oh, well, well, how can we have jet fighters and, you know, and, and atomic bombs and, and all those things? Well, that's not what makes you safe. Atomic bombs around the world, or hydrogen bombs, or you know, nuclear bombs, uh, don't make you safe. They actually endanger you. <laughs> they endanger the whole planet. But we face a greater threat today in America, and it has to do with what's in our our mind, what we think is acceptable behavior, what we think Christ wanted us to do. That's much more danger. We just had the bootleg fire with the largest fire in the United States. Came within inches of the rim over our valley. You know, you could see, I put up pictures of the glowing 
fire at night and it burned over 300,000, maybe 400,000 acres. It's it's not really completely done, but it's no longer a threat here in this valley. It got to the edge and no more. You shall not pass. <laughs> they stopped it at, at the rim. And it was it was start uh, st- stopped mostly by the efforts and assistance of a private fire department. You know, manning the lines and making it possible to stop that. And that and God's grace of having a little bit of rain just at the right moment. A little bit cooler weather just at the right moment. And it stopped. But uh, that was, you know, the houses were safe. If it came down, we were more than ready. All by an almost military type i mean they're all using military vehicles they they scrounge humvees and and military vehicles because they're a rangeland fire they have to have trucks that can just drive over the range no matter what's there i mean they can supposedly drive right over a three-foot log and uh, keep on going and so they're uh pretty tough vehicles but they got them all surplus and they got them donated uh uh, because people had them in other fire departments that got gotten them in their depots, didn't know what to do with them. They they weren't going to do the extra work of fixing them up, and repainting some of them that needed that, and and mounting pumps on them and all that because it's a huge amount of labor and they hire all their labor. But the uh, high desert uh, rangeland fire people just did it themselves. They got together on weekends and they put it all together. And now they have, I don't know how many trucks and jeeps and, and, uh, tankers and it, they have an amazing force to stop fires. And they have put out more fires than I can count that could have gotten real big and, and did not because they put them out and they're all volunteer. No salaries, no wages, all supported by the people. That's the way we used to do it. That's the way the first fire departments were. They weren't based on taxes. They were based on volunteerism. Well, this was the problem at the time of Amos. Is that they had moved away, both in Judah and Israel, away from taking care of the needy of society. That taking care of the needy of society. The welfare of society. The pure religion of society. Remember, pure religion in the New Testament is is taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. Why do they mention widows and orphans? Because their families have broken down. Normally, it's the job of the family to take care of the elderly, take care of the 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 people who might need help as they get older, and and that would be the job of the family. But if the family breaks down, there's widows and orphans then society steps in and helps take care of these people. And that is important to the spiritual awakening of the kingdom of God. That's the practice of pure religion. If you set up a welfare system through statute, through, you know, rulers, kings, you know, Democrats, whatever... Forcing the contributions of the people, which Samuel would call foolish, that's legal charity. That's state welfare. 
at the state using exercising authority to take care of the needy of society. This will alter society. You know, Polybius understood that individual almsgiving established valuable ties between the rich and the poor. The deed itself involves the giver in the fate of the one whose poverty he has undertaken to alleviate. The latter supported by aid which he had no right to demand and which he had no hope of getting feels inspired by gratitude. See, today, they expect, they, they even call it entitlements. Changes the nature of society. Changes the soul of society. It goes on to say, A moral tie is established between those two classes whose interests and passions so often conspire to separate them from each other. This is involuntary charity. And although divided by circumstances, they are willingly... Reconciled. This is not the case with legal charity. This is this is uh, written in by Alexis Tocqueville in his uh, memoirs of pauperism, because he he thought legal charity would be the downfall of England back in the eighteen hundreds, where it was starting to edge its way back into society. Not that it had not tried to come into society before. We write in the beginning of the book, the Free Church Report, which is free online, that because of the cover of the book is Lady Godiva, who never rode through town on a horse naked. That never happened. That is fiction. What she did was strip her wealth and gave her wealth to take care of the needy of society so that her husband did not have to impose a tax upon society to provide welfare for the needy. That was the king, the Norman king at that particular time, this is 1090s, was trying to impose a tax upon the people to force the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society. And she said, we can't do it that way. She had the sense to know that if we do it that way, it would destroy society. FDR did not know that, evidently. Or maybe he did know that. I don't know. LBJ probably did know that. Because he knew that it would weaken society. In a time of affluence, it would weaken society. Which was, of course, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. They weakened the poor. They weakened it with legal charity. And that's what Amos is warning us about in chapter 5. It's what Alexis de Tocqueville was warning us about. It's what Polybius was warning us about. It's what John the Baptist was warning us about. It's what Peter was warning us about when he said, through covetous practices, they will make merchandise of you. Because you're not doing it through charity. You're not doing it through voluntarism. Which is, you know, when you you look at Justin the Martyr who is writing to Antonius Pius about 
Christianity, to explain what Christianity was all about. Because Antonius Pius being the emperor, he could actually put pressure upon Christians because they were, Christians did not go to the government temples to get their free bread during time of famine, during time of shortages. That would be eating of things offered to idols because it would be eating of the legal charity offered by the Roman government, by what historians refer to as the Imperial Roman cult. You signed up for the Imperial Roman cult. You had to pay in, but you were protected. The Pharisees set up a similar system, which was referred to by Jesus as the Corbin of the Pharisees, which takes care of the widows and orphans and needy of society, the elderly of society often, the crippled of society, the blind of society. But it made the word of God to none effect because the Corbin of the Pharisees you signed up for and then you had to pay in. They had Molkai and Gabai priests who would come to your house to come to your farm fields and measure off what you were making. We see that Matthew was a tax collector. He would see what you made and say what you had to pay. And that changes the nature of society. Just as if we were repent, think differently, go back to voluntarism, that would change society back. And it would also send a blessing to society, the divine protection of Yahweh, of God, of this mysterious thing we call the divine creator. It actually has an actual physical effect upon the universe around us. When we come together in love instead of in greed and force and and say, let's all have one purse and then we will force people to give and then we will have entitlements and we will have guarantee and we won't have to live by faith and hope and charity. We will live by force, fear and fealty. We will, we will belong to the benefactors who exercise authority, but we will have our entitlements. We will have our guaranteed wages, our guaranteed income. You see, the the whole world is moving in that direction. Some are saying, no, I don't want to go. But they also are not turning around and going the way of Christ. They are not coming together in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands that Christ commanded his disciples make the people gather in so that they could take care of the needy of society and alleviate the poverty of their neighbor. By the way, Justin the Martyr wrote, we gather once a week, and those that have, share with those that do not have enough. And that's how Christians got through the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Imperial cult, and the breakdown of social welfare. Now, there's another way the state, the state is headed for bankruptcy, and so there is going to be a breakdown of legal charity. It will not keep up with the cost of living. 
and the people who have become dependent upon legal charity, you know, welfare. Social Security is welfare. Social Security has never been solvent, ever, ever been solvent, never, ever been solvent. That's the law. We'll show you in Supreme Court cases. We have all this down at, at websites like preparingyou.com. Preparingyou.com. Just look it up. And we go through and we show you. The Supreme Court's ruled. There's no division of funds. If the United States is operating in the red, then Social Security is operating in the red. It's not solvent because there is no division of funds. Same with the temple funds of Rome. We actually, if you actually studied history, you would see some of the parallels to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire as we see now going on in places like the United States or Australia or all these countries all around the world that are all operating in the red. They're operating in debt. The the traveling merchants of the earth, the bankers of the world, are collecting interest on the money they loaned your government so that you could have today welfare that you have not yet paid for. Which is certainly not keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath, you work first, right? And then you take your day of rest. In the international world of banking, you borrow against tomorrow and you owe your labor. As a matter of fact, you don't own your labor. They do. You've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. So anyway, like I said, in Amos 5, we introduced the idea of legal charity. And then, of course, if you go there, you'll see a link to an article that goes into detail about legal charity. But this was the problem. Israel was dependent upon the tabernacle of Moloch. This other system of uh, of welfare. Remember, the golden calf, those of you who haven't been keeping up, uh, the golden calf was a central bank. Many city-states had it. We go through that. We have an article on golden calf. You can look that up. And you take your wealth, your gold, that's your most portable wealth, and you put it in this statue. Now, if the enemy attacks, you know, Amalek's, Malachites, Russians, <laughs> whatever, Chinese hordes come, uh, how will you stay and defend? And people say, oh, well, defend the country. You, you, you're completely ill-equipped to do so. You're scattered sheep. You know, it's... The sheep, you know, like I said, you take rain sheep out. Once, you know, I can tell if there's been coyotes in the sheep or near them because they're sticking together better. <laughs> when I see them sticking together better, I start going out in the field and looking for somebody who got ate. Because that's such a reminder. But it would be nice if you start, stuck together before anybody got ate. But anyway, we'll get into Amos 8. And you can go to preparing you when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, if we, if we get into, uh, some of the, remember that Amos is, is poetry. So there will be lots of symbols in Amos where he's, in order to meet the requirements of that poetry, 
he's going to use symbols. And, and we've seen that. We've gone over some of that in the past of how uh, he's actually quoting other prophets and using what they have already written in order to establish this uh, message concerning the what was going on at that particular time in Judea and what was coming because of the choices that that people make he starts off thus hath the lord god showed unto me and behold a basket of summer fruit so what is this basket of summer fruit sounds okay and he said Amos, what seest thou? And I said, this is Amos writing, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. Okay, so what in the world is he talking about? This basket of summer fruit. How is that a symbol? It's a poetic symbol, supposedly, of what was going on in Israel and Judea at that time. And you know, when when it speaks of this basket of summer fruit, you have to kind of go look at the actual original Hebrew in order to get an idea. Although, if you were really listening to the Holy Spirit, you would you you would ask in your mind, what do they mean, basket of summer fruit? And if you could hear the Holy Spirit, it would show you, it would tell you, it would explain to you that that basket of summer fruit, which is summer fruit, what is that? Ripe fruit is a symbol of something. When you read poetry that is full of metaphors and and symbols, they will use certain words and you will know that it has something to do. If we look at that word uh, uh, for basket, is kaf, lamed, vav, biet. What does that mean? It's from a uh, word kaf, lamed, biet, without the vav. And of course, what do we say about the vav? Vav is this separation word. You know, and kaf is the crown. Lamad has to do with the hand, the aspirations of the heart. And, but the vav is either connecting or disconnecting, dividing an idea. And the last letter of the word biet has to do with your house, the purpose. The, your family was the purpose, so the family is part of your house. And biet almost always represents like a household. Uh, in preparation for our study on Nahum, I was looking, it mentions Lebanon. And Lebanon is Lamad, Biet, Nun, Bav, Nun. So there you have, you know, Lebanon, we know it's a place. It's also kind of a nation. It's also this house and the nation has a purpose. And so these are all conceptual things that we're looking at in these Hebrew words that use these letters to represent ideas puts the ideas together to create another word. And then that's why you'll find many of these words have just, even though 
if you were looking in a concordance, they would say that, oh, it's just these four letters. But when you actually look at the original text, maybe it's five letters or six letters. Because they're adding extra letters to give you a sense of what this word is all about. Which is part of the reason why when you look at some of these words that they use in the Hebrew, even in the Greek, but in the Hebrew especially, that... A single word would be translated five, ten, even fifteen different ways. Some of the time it's because they've added extra letters to give a little bit more clarity to the meaning of the word as it is being used in that sentence or in that paragraph. But since Amos is this poet, he is he's doing this on a regular basis so that you get this idea of... Uh, of the meaning by the original Hebrew words. We don't get to see that unless you go and look at the Hebrew. But you don't really need to go look at the Hebrew if you really are filled with the Holy Spirit because you would already know that what he's talking about has to do with this overripe fruit, this basket of ripe fruit, summer fruit. It actually is from a word that means, you know, the, the basket part means cage, basket, or dog cage. You know, it's, it's, you know, what happens if you take fruit off of the tree and put it in a basket? It's not gonna last long. Uh, in the summertime especially. It's going to, because it's a ripe, it's already, you know, it's highest sugar content. It's gonna start drawing fruit flies and it's gonna start getting you know, some bruising or molding. And then, you know, what do they say? One bad apple spoils the bunch because as it breaks down, the bacteria that it's releasing around it and the juices that begin to flow into that basket, the whole basket is rotten really quick. So when you say a basket of summer fruit sounds kind of happy, pleasing, wonderful. But that is not actually the picture that he's giving you. Or giving Amos by saying, what do you see? He's actually talking about, you know, basket of fruit that is about to go bad. Because it's summer, hot, it's full of ripe, and you put them all together in a basket, in a dog cage, you know, in this tight container. Rather than in, you know, where you can keep it from one apple spoiling another. And of course that's what Judah and Israel has done. They were now in a container. They were in systems. I mean, they had Judah followed one way and Israel followed another way. But in truth, they actually followed the same way because we'll see the high priest of Israel or, you know, of the king. We we saw that when we were studying in Amos 7, I think. It was Amos 7. That he... Uh, wanted to to cancel Amos because Amos was giving this prophecy of the demise of the king and Amaziah wanted to cancel Amos they didn't he want, didn't want him speaking about these things well why because Amaziah was the high priest of the welfare system religion is a welfare system but it's a pure religion is a voluntary welfare system that doesn't use force that's why John the Baptist, until John the Baptist, everybody was using force. But John the Baptist said, no, if you have two coats 
and your neighbor has none, you share. It's charity. It's love. Do the same in meats. That, that's the distinction between John the Baptist and what everybody else was doing at that particular time in history. Well, Amaziah was now depending upon the king to force the contributions of the people to provide the priest with the welfare money he was going to need to take care of the needy to visit the needy of society, the widows and orphans and needy of society. And Amos is saying the king is going to die. It's going to fall all apart. And uh, so he was complaining about Amos and saying, drop not thy words against the house of Isaac. Well, that's not what he was doing. He was speaking the truth. You see, way before fake news, there was fake good news. Where they took the good news and altered it and changed it. So we look back at Amos 8 and we see this basket of summer fruit which is ripe in the summertime, all put together in the single basket. And so what is what did the verse say in verse 2? And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And Amos said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel just like the end was coming to that summer fruit. It was spoiled. The rotten apples were spoiling the fruit. You can apply that to what you see in the news today. But uh, maybe we'll spend more time on that in the afternoon show. Maybe not. We'll, we'll see. have to determine what... Very busy here. We'll see where we can go with these different things. But... We'll show you. I mean, all the confusion you see in the news, you, you get these reports that, oh, this is so, and then they reverse it, and they say, no, this is so, and then they reverse it back. You know, you you can't get the flu if you have the vaccine. That's what one uh, prominent uh, spokesman for uh, CDC and health departments were saying. And then now they're saying, no, even though you got the vaccine, you have to wear a mask because you can still get the flu. And, you know, I saw one report from New South Wales where they had 151 new cases of flu of, you know, supposedly the coronavirus. Over 50 of them were in intensive care, so it was pretty serious. I don't know about all the others, but... And the ages were not old people with prior morbidities. There were a lot of young people in this group. But the one thing they they almost all had, there was 151 at the time I heard it, but then when I was went back to read about it, it was 154, so the number was going up. But of the 150 original ones, 150 of them were fully vaccinated. And yet they were all sick. Why are they so sick? Why are some of them in intensive care? Why are these young people in intensive care with the flu virus? Well, you know, we predicted this. We suspected this. So did, and we did it by reporting all kinds of other epidemiologists. What is actually taking place? Well, according to some, it's ADE. Antibody dependent um, enhancement. Where you got vaccinated, but now when you get exposed to a similar virus, your body response is enhanced and you become sicker 
sicker than you would have become, where you would have just experienced some flu symptoms. Now you're in intensive care. Out of 151 new cases, all of them had received at least one shot, and 150 of them had received two shots. So why are they even getting sick? Well, oh, supposedly it's a variant. But it's following the pattern that we heard epidemiologists saying would take place, this ADE. You can look it up. You can look up ADE. Uh, it's been around for a long time. So, but now we just had the President of the United States saying that if you get the vaccine, you won't get sick. You won't be able to make other people sick. But yet we hear other people saying no from the same government saying, no, you can get other people sick. Just heard on the news just before we started the program, someone saying that, no, no, everybody needs to get this uh, to help keep people safe. Yet, we're getting reports that say they're not safe. Well, I'm sure at the time of Amos, there were people who said, no, we have to have a welfare system where we force the wealthy amongst us to pay in in order to support the temple so that there will be funds there and supplies there to take care of the needy of society. Of course, that's not living by faith. It's living by force. It's it's a covetous practice because you're coveting your neighbor's goods and wanting to force him to contribute to your welfare. But most modern Christians are okay with that. I mean, that's how they get public schools. Public schools originally were mostly by private funds. Even even Harvard and Yale, when they started, you could go get a free education there if you didn't have the funds to pay tuition, but you could keep up the grades. There were scholarships available. You wouldn't graduate with debt except for a spiritual and an emotional debt because you knew that somebody had willingly sacrificed to provide you with what you were going to need to have that education. And to an honorable person, they would want to pay back. And of course, that's how the alumni paid back as they became successful. And of course, the teachers in the schools were teaching you so that you would become successful. They weren't teaching you just for the salary. They were teaching you so that you would become successful. And uh, so, therefore, as an alumni, you would pay back. You would give back as you knew somebody had given to you. You had set that precedent of mind. Legal charity doesn't do that. And while I quoted uh, Alexis earlier in the show, I could quote him also when he talks about where in Amos 5, he opposed legal charity. Alexis goes on to say, which allows the alms to persist, legal charity does, but removes its morality. You're removing the morality of society. You're defamating, decimating, destroying the morality of society because you removed it. It's not, not dependent upon morality anymore. The law strips the man of wealth, of a part of his surplus, without consulting him. And he sees the poor man only as a greedy stranger, invited by the legislature to share his wealth. 
The poor man, on the other hand, feels no gratitude for a benefit, and no one can refuse him. And that could not satisfy him in any case. Now, this is written 100, 160 years ago, 170, 180 years ago. I think it was about 1850 where he published this. It's been around, but I can guarantee you're not, you're, your kids are studying critical race theory in school. They're not studying Alexis. You know, he says public alms guarantee life but do not make it happier or more comfortable than individual alms giving. Legal charity does not thereby eliminate wealth or poverty in society. One class still views the world with fear and loathing while the other regards its misfortune with despair and envy. Far from uniting these two rival nations, you know, rich and poor, who have existed since the beginning of the world, I mean, Jesus said that, the poor you will have with you always. How are you going to handle the poor? How are you going to do for the poor? Well, that's what Christ was showing you. But you're not doing that. You're doing what Nimrod did. You're you're doing what uh, socialists do. You've been doing it for a hundred years. America has become... You can call yourself a republic. You can call yourself a democratic republic. But you're a socialist state. And so the road we've gone down since FDR and even Woodrow Wilson and certainly since LBJ, far from uniting these two rival nations of rich and poor who have existed since the beginning of the world and who are called the rich and poor into a single people, it breaks the only link which could be established between them. It ranges, each one under a banner, tallies them, ranges under a banner, what would that, how would we vocalize that today? You know, it has to do with identity politics, that's the banner. You're, you're rich, you're white, you're black, you're poor. (laughs) So those are your banners, those are your identities. Tallies them. And bringing them face to face prepares them for combat. And now, if you understood the nature of God, you would also understand by default the nature of evil. The nature of evil is not interested in one side winning and one side losing. It's simply interested in both sides fighting. It's just preparing you for combat. That's what, you know, outfits like Black Lives Matter, they're just as much a victim of their own nonsense as you are going to be. But that's, they just want chaos. They just want battle. And so, if you're going to pick a side, you've already failed. You have to seek righteousness. You know, Alexis went on to say, any measure that establishes legal charity on a permanent basis and gives it administrative form, thereby creates an idle and lazy class living at the expense of the industrial and working class. 
It was written 180 years ago. <laughs> you, you, your kids should have been studying that, but you sent them away to study somewhere else. Like I said, the, the, the sin of Sodom was the covetous practices that Peter talks about that makes the people merchandise and weakens them. He knew that the individual charity is a powerful agency that must not be despised. But it has become. I mean, they even mock the idea of doing these things by charity. And so, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that again. But let's go on with uh, Amos 8. And God is warning because they've become this basket of overripe fruit that's sitting in the sun, crammed together in this basket of Corbin, this membership, this mire. He says in verse 3, And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Verse 4. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. Now until I read that verse 4, I was Interjecting that this basket of summer fruit had to do with somehow the poor. And if you separated the poor out, the needy out, then you must have also separated the not poor, the wealthy out, the not needy. And of course that's what these, you know, high priests who want to cancel, uh, poor Amos had already done. They had, they, they had already done this. They had already set up a Corbin, like the Corbin of the Pharisees, supported by the ability and the power of the king to tax. You know, cause if you're slothful in charity, you will be under tribute. That's what Proverbs tells us. The slothful shall be under tribute. This is how you get there. Is that you change your thinking from the fact that we need to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity to thinking that we can take care of one another through forced offerings. And if you send your kids to public school, you have accepted the idea that forcing your neighbor to provide an education for your children is okay. You know, you can make all kinds of excuses. Well, we pay in. Yeah, you may pay in, but you don't pay in as much. I mean, what? What does it cost to educate your children? You have two kids in school. Are you paying minimum? You're paying six thousand dollars per student. Some places you're paying twenty thousand dollars per student. So if you have two, three kids in school, are you paying sixty thousand dollars in taxes? Well, a rich man might be doing that. But most people are not doing that. But they send their kids to school and they make the rich man pay more. And they also borrow money against the future. So you see how we're trapping ourselves in these systems. This is, this is what Amos is talking about. This is what all the prophets are talking about. This is what John the Baptist was talking about. This is what Peter was talking about, the covetous practices. Where you divide this. And of course, this is what Alexis Tocqueville was talking about. And it's what we're talking about. 
And if you come back, we'll talk about it some more. So as we go through Amos 8, we've seen him talking about, you know, this ripe fruit that Israel is ripe for decay and becoming rotten and becoming useless and being wasted in this basket of warm, ripe fruit. And he says, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. He's saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath and we may set forth wheat making the ephah small and the shekel great falsifying the balances by deceit. So what are they talking about? You know, when they made the golden calf and they took all their gold earrings off and they put them together in this golden calf, which became their central bank, and they knew if somebody was robbing the bank because there was something missing on the calf. So that they had to issue some sort of commercial commodity, like they had in Egypt, the scarabs represented money. There would be numbers on these little clay scarabs issued by the king. And they would use that amongst themselves as a form of exchange. Spartans made it illegal to own gold. And so their money was made out of lead, which was valuable in Sparta, but not valuable anywhere else. And of course, that that brings in the idea of counterfeiting because They're using something as if it had value, but it didn't really have that value. But it forced the people to trade amongst themselves rather than, you know, trade outside of Sparta. There probably was a, you know, campaign by Spartan. Of course, they didn't need it because the money the people had was only valuable in Sparta. So you had to buy Sparta, Spartan. And, uh... But if we go back to that time, that they were talking about the ephah, which is a measure of weight becoming small, and the shekel becoming great, the value of the money becoming great, and that shekel was a shekel of silver, and falsifying the balances by deceit. Well, of course... One of the big, biggest forms of taxation upon the people, especially upon the poor, is inflation. Where the things you're using as if it is money, as if it had value, which is like Federal Reserve notes or whatever currency in whatever country you're in. I mean, every country in the world just about now has its own Federal Reserve. There were a few that, as of about a couple decades ago, did not have them. But they've all been conquered, East Timor, uh, Afghanistan, Panama, and a few other places didn't have these Federal Reserves. And then they were conquered and then they were set up. There's maybe a few countries that don't have them still. I'd have to research it to say for sure. I know that Iraq and Iran were countries that did not have regular Federal Reserves at one time. They may have them now. Certainly Iraq may have them now. 
and Libya, like supposedly Hitler said, the gold in the hands of the people is the enemy of the state because it makes the people independent. Well, nothing would make the people independent as to depend upon one another in charity because the bands, and we talked about this in the previous shows, that the bands which bind society, a free society, are free bands. It's like back there where if you went to Yale or Harvard on a scholarship provided by charity, you didn't have to pay the scholarship back, but it would be socially expected that as you became successful that you would give to endowment funds of these colleges so that they can offer scholarships to the next person. And so this is how poor people could get a good education. And many did. Thousands upon thousands of them did. And it was essential that you create that in society so that you do not divide society. See, your inclusion philosophies that are so rampant today actually divide society. Socialism divides society. We'll all have one purse, but we'll divide our hearts and our morality and our souls. Because the poor will become the enemy of the rich and the, and the rich are, a, pro, uh, are uh, a source of jealousy and envy. So when we're looking in Amos and they're talking about this deceit and balances, that would fit so clearly into what we've done today because, you know, we pointed out that just to show you the, the range of inflation, you could buy a home with solid oak floors, maple cabinets, two-story, three-bedroom, in downtown Nebraska, you know, in, in the in, not in the inner city. There was no inner city at that time really to speak of. But you could buy it in just after World War II for $3,500 with dishes in the cupboard. My folks did that. $3,500 for a nice home like that. How could you do that? Well, it was 3500 silver dollars. You know, 3500 silver dollars today is worth 15 times that, maybe more. I don't know what the price of silver is. But the value in notes to buy such a house now would probably cost you $150,000, And you probably couldn't even get it. You know, you'd have uh, particle board flooring. <laughs> Solid oak flooring. <laughs> so, uh, the reality is, is that's what comes from the deceitful balances. And that was started at the beginning of the last millennium. And so, or the beginning of the last century, uh, with people like President of the United States, who thought that it was a good idea to have a Federal Reserve. And uh, it probably was not a good idea, I would estimate, because it's not just weights and balances. It was also borrowing against the future. And, of course, by the time FDR came along, they were bankrupt and we had the economic collapse. Same kind of things were going on in Rome. 
not to the extent that we do them today, but and it, it probably to some degree was at the time of Amos, because this is Amos mentioning this, falsifying the balances by deceit. And he goes on to say, and we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. Yea, and sell the, the refuse of the wheat. The refuse of the wheat, you know, the chaff of the wheat. And it's kind of like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. You know, they said the poor are starving, let them eat cake. She says, of course, if you understood what she meant by that, she's not talking about ice cream and cake. She's talking about the way in which the French made bread, that they they had a clay oven. They'd start a fire inside the clay oven and heat up the clay and bricks until it was hot enough to bake bread, literally. Then they would sweep out the coals and the ashes Throw in a slurry of flour and water that would steam up right away and then sweep that out and that would take out the ash. It would clean the last of the ash out and then they would throw in the dough and bake the bread. Well, sweeping out that ash, that's flour and, and wood ash and that's called cake. That's what cake was called, that flour and wood ash. So she says, if there's no bread, let them eat the cake, the, the flour, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the singed flour and, uh, and wood ash. So that's, that's a little tidbit on history so you understand that. But that shows the contempt they have for the poor. And that comes about because they had already, you know, this was, 500 years, 600 years after Lady Godiva said, no, charity has to be voluntary. You cannot tax the rich or your enemy in order to provide for the poor. It will alter the soul of society. Alexis is telling us the same thing. Yet You will still have your welfare, but you will not have morality. So if you're sending your kids to public school, that's bankrupting the morality of society. You say, well, but we had to pay in. We have a right to do yeah, Well, yeah, you do. But if you want to think differently, you have to think homeschool or private school. You have to think about gathering together with the people to take care of one another through faith, open charity, not through the entitlements of men who exercise authority one over the other. Because in verse 4, as we saw, it says, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy even and make the poor of the land to fail. You know, when he talks about these dead bodies in verse 3, that comes from a word that actually means to faint. There shall be many who are faint in every place and they shall cast them forth and say, Well, that's not our concern. We have that because we have the Corbin of the Pharisees today as the legal charity of America, which is Social Security. That is the Corbin. That's what Corbin was. Corbin was your Social Security. When it was provided by free will offerings through the priests of your society, it strengthened the poor. And it united the rich and poor. It united the whole of society. It did not divide them. 
But when you went to legal charity and you forced the contributions, then you divided society. By nature, you will divide society. To the point where even the sons and daughters will say that I have given Corbin. That's the job of Social Security to take care of my parents. And they would actually do no more ought for their parents. Jesus talks about that. Because of the Corbin of the Pharisees. You think that happens today? I mean, who has parents over 65? Are they contributing to the welfare of those parents? Or do they expect them to go collect Social Security? Because they're now 65. So they'll go take care of their parents because their parents will go collect Social Security. Because I I have to pay into Social Security. So therefore that should go to take care of my parents. Well if what you're paying in goes to take care of your parents now. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, welfare, all those things. Then there is no money to be expected for you. Unless of course you ask the government to force your children to take care of you. You see how you've depleted the soul of society by setting up such systems. When he talks about new moons, what do new moons have to do with anything in verse 5? Well, that has to do with the feasts. And the feasts had to do with welfare. The, the loaves and fishes, that was clearly a feast. One of the Jewish feasts, probably the Feast of Tabernacles. Which it says in the Feast of Tabernacles that you are not to forget the priests of your society. And who are the priests of your society? That's the welfare office. That's the social security office. That's the public schools. uh, All the people that work at the public school. That's your priests. That's your ministers. That's the ones who provide the daily ministration for your food, for your welfare, for taking care of your elderly, taking care of your sick, taking care of your poor, taking care of your education of your children. Those are the priests of your society. And they can force your contributions to guarantee their wages. Teachers unions all over the country. Still, they want shut down. They're still getting paid, you see. They don't have to go to school and teach people, but they can still get paid. Because they haven't been fired. They, whether it comes to unemployment or whatever, they're taken care of. And so they, they're the ones that operate on fear. The, the nonsense that's coming out of the, these people that you put your children in trust with is astounding. People, you know, want to go back to school, want to send my kids back to school, and they got these mass mandates. What am I going to do? Why don't you try homeschooling like God intended? Verse 7, The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. What works? That's, you know, not helping the faint. Uh, just Unjust weights and balances. You know, making the money so it's not worth anything. And uh, buying the poor, buying votes. I mean, like, we have this huge influx of immigrants coming to this country. And I don't want to pick on, you know, in generalizations. But originally, Americans came here to be free. 
Now, I'm afraid a great deal of the immigrants are coming here to get free stuff at the expense of their neighbor. People who have already accepted that that idea is okay, how do you think they will vote? We already know, don't we? The reason the demographics of your society is changing is because the soul of your society has changed because your preachers have said it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the power of government. Through the exercising authority of government. You can covet your neighbor's goods. That's a covetous practice that Peter talked about that would make you merchandise and curse your children already done. Done deal. Only salvation is to actually listen to what Christ was saying, what John the Baptist was saying, what Peter was saying, what the prophets were all saying. Repent and go back the other way to voluntarism. Shall not the land tremble for this and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? It shall rise up holy as a flood and it shall be cast out and drowned. By the flood of Egypt. Because Egypt has flooded into America, into Australia, into all these countries. They're all back in the bondage of Egypt. Egypt means in bondage. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning. Now see, what are your feasts? That's all the welfare. That's all the social security that takes care of your parents, the welfare that takes care of your poor. The public school is welfare. It's You force your neighbor, uh, under threat of taking his home away from him, to pay into your child's education. Noble cause. It was noble when Saul wanted to get funds to provide for his army to protect the people from the Philistines invading. That was a noble idea. But to do it by force was a foolish thing that would bring about the destruction not only of Israel, but of Saul himself. And the same goes today. I mean, it's it's good to educate your children. Do you really think they're getting educated? Ask your children if they can quote anything from Alexis Tocqueville. Do they know what made America great? You know, we have these kids in college saying, when was America ever great? Well, Alexis wrote a whole book about it and explains what made America great. Everybody in America wasn't great. Everything in America wasn't great. He talked about the slavery issue. talked about how it was destroying the whites in the South. It evidently actually made the blacks stronger. Because after the Civil War, the blacks did extremely well. The black family, even in the beginning of the 1900s, the black family was so strong. Only 3% at the most of the black families were single parent families. In the rural areas, only 1.5%. We're single-parent families. Today, 75% of the black families are single-parent families. That isn't slavery. That's welfare. That 
did not strengthen them. And of course, that's why LBJ targeted the black community because he wanted the black vote and he got it. Guy was clever, but evil often is clever. So I will turn your feasts into mourning. That's where we're at. Because that's your feasts, all those welfare benefits where you take and take and take and take and take from your neighbor. See, in Samuel 8, it talks about the government taking and taking and taking. But in a social democracy, it's your neighbor taking and taking and taking. He just uses the government to do the taking. And he wants more and more benefits. And all your songs into lamentations. So you can go sing in your church, but who amongst you helps the faint? Yeah, I had somebody who's, you know, professional minister, I guess, and saying that, well, our church, we take care of the needy. To what degree? If you add up all the welfare benefits they get, all the government benefits they get, all the benefits they get from the men who call themselves benefactors but only give you what they take away from others, add that all up in your congregation. Just go through them individually, what they are receiving. Then add up what you provide as a church. And whichever one measures greater... That's the high priest of your church. So that then tell me your song is not a lamentation. Goes on to say, I will bring up sackcloth upon all the loins and baldness upon every head and I will make it as the morning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They will not hear. They will not get it. If you're starting to get it, if you're starting to hear, now you need to turn that hearing into action and become a doer of the word. And that means to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start doing things the way Christ commanded. The way John the Baptist said to do them. The way Peter said to do them. And not the way Peter said not to do them. Because... You already are merchandise. You already have unjust weights and measures. How do you come back from all this? Well, longest journey begins with the first step. And the first step is to repent. And then the second one is just seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Which is seeking a voluntary society that takes care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. It's not going to get into their hearts until they repent. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. You're not hearing the gospel in the churches, the modern church. They're not telling you. They're telling you something, 
but their watered-down gospel is not the real gospel. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth, and the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. So, you know, the, also I wanted to say that Amos is not divided into chapters by Amos. But the next chapter, of course, would be in, in this chapter 9. He talks about, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. Again, what's an altar? A gathering of stones, a gathering of friends, a gathering of men who care about you as much as they care about themselves. It's the living stones of the altar of God. And he said, smite the lentil of the door, that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. And he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. So, right now you have the false churches, the the false church and the daughters of the church, that are not telling you that you need to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They're saying that it's absolutely okay to take care of one another through force, fear, and fealty, through the men who exercise authority one over the other. Even though Christ said it was not to be that way with you, Right there in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is not to be that way with you like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. But it is that way with you. So you are actually not doing, not hearing the words of the Lord. Or now that you are hearing them, what are you doing about it? Are you receiving them in your heart and in your mind? Are you turning your deeds into the actions of real Christians? Or are you trying to make excuses? Well, when we come back, we'll find out. So, come right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're in the last part of this uh, chapter 8. And uh, we've gotten through the text. But do we understand the text? Do we understand what... Uh, these different uh, words mean. And we talked to you a little bit last week uh, in Amos chapter 7, verse 1, where it talks about the grasshoppers. You know, he talked about, Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, besides the basket of fruit, he says, Behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. The word they use there for grasshopper only appears in Amos and in Nahum, which we'll cover in the next study. Uh, It is supposedly means grasshopper. It's, uh, or locust in some translations. But it's actually from a word that means husbandman. So how does a word that means husbandman become grasshopper. And of course we talked about this before that there's these swarms of offices that were being created by the king 
because it takes all these offices in order to tax the people. So the king got his share, the mowing of the king, and then the swarms of offices were also taking a share. And it was eating out the substance of the people. But these offices were the husbandmen of society. But they were offices that exercised authority. If you create offices that exercise authority to provide for the needy of society, you will not be free. You can only be free if you create a voluntary society. And you say, well, people won't volunteer, so we have to do something. Well, you have no faith. You don't believe in the way of Christ, which is a way of faith. You believe in the way of force, which is a way of Cain and Nimrod. You would rather beat your neighbor over the head and take what you want. So that that single word grasshopper that shows up in Amos also shows up in Nahum. And Nahum talks about that same word. And it's translated grasshopper. They have a word for locust in the same sentence. But um, it's a different word. But uh, it says crowned are as the locust and thy captains as the great grasshoppers. These are the offices. His captains. Remember Samuel said that he will appoint captains over you. Those are the grasshoppers. Those are the swarms of offices that exercise authority. Why? Because you wanted a ruler who could exercise authority. Now we have rulers that uh, supposedly in the place of a ruler in the United States that just made a command supposedly that all federal employees have to get the vaccination. Well, I know federal employees who will quit their job before they get the vaccination. All the military have to take the vaccination. All the doctors in the uh, Veterans Administration, all the nurses in the Veterans Administration who work for the government have to take the vaccination. Where we talked about earlier, you know, just... This this is a news report where 151 new cases, 150 of them, were people that had received both vaccinations. What is that? Why is that? Well, of course, your news media is rushing out to find the story there and find out why is that happening. I thought you weren't supposed to be able to get it. No, they're not. I mean, sarcastic here. And really, I'm kind of fed up with sarcasm because we really should avoid that in the news. So I have to make it very clear. That's sarcasm. They're not going out and finding out what's really going on. They're keeping you from knowing what's really going on. Because the mountains of Samaria are not telling you the truth. That Your sources of information are liars and deceivers. But it's this is not something that just happened in the last couple of years. You've been deceiving yourself all this time thinking that you're a Christian. So that... You've crowned a man who's is like locust and destroying you and destroying the people around you, destroying your army. He's not preparing, he's destroying it. And your captains, yeah, they what the king didn't take, they will take fees and fines and 
and taking away your freedom. But of course, you were willing to take away your neighbor's freedom when you decided it was okay to force them to contribute to your welfare, to your parents' welfare, to your your kids' welfare. You thought it was okay to force them. Now, I can't get you out of paying your property tax. I wouldn't I don't think that's where we need to go. Even if you had a right not to pay it, I think you should pay it until they cast you out. But what you should be doing, and this is why the gospel starts with this, think differently. Hear what we are saying that you need to live by faith, hope, and charity by offering freedom to your neighbor by taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. It worked with our fire department and the fire did not pass. Did not come into the valley. Burned 400,000 acres around us. Still burning in some places. But not us. Because because we have one little tiny rural fire department. God protected us here in Basra. But uh, we were never afraid. Other people were afraid. We were trying to calm down people all the time. We were almost in a panic. Faint, as it says there in Amos 8. But we did not abandon them. And so, anyway, things are still going on. It goes on to say in in Nahum, which we'll cover eventually, which camp in the hedges of the cold day. But when the sun arises, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. So what does all that mean in relation to those swarms of grasshoppers and locusts and the king's mowing? Well, we'll cover that in Nahum. Right now, the the last things that I'll probably talk to you about here, because we're running uh, out of time, and uh, we just to recover from some of the things, as I've added to all the pages that we've already done, and uh, Alexis told us a lot about why America was great, and he says that he sought for the greatness and the genius of America and her commodious harbors. Her ample rivers, it was not there. He he looked for it in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. And he says, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Is it good to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government, even for a good cause? For the education of your children, for the care of your parents, for the care of the poor. Is it good to do it to men who exercise authority? Well, of course it's not. It will divide your nation. It will divide the people. It will 
destroy the bands that connect a free society. The love and respect of your neighbors must be gained by long series of small services, says Alexis. Hidden deeds of goodness. A persistent habit of kindness. An established reputation of selflessness. That's, that's what you have to do. And you do that if you create that voluntary society. You can homeschool your kids. You can gather together and create an association of homeschoolers that help out, help one another, share curriculums. You can do that. You can do, if you can do it with fire departments, you can do it with homeschoolers. If you do it with all these things in the social structure of society, you will be ready for whatever comes your way in the future and many things are coming. Now, the antithesis of the kingdom of God is despotism. And despotism, suspicious, this is what Alexis says, suspicious by its very nature views the separation of men as the best guarantee of its own permanence. And usually does all it can to keep them in isolation. You, you don't even have to show up to the school board meetings. You have to show up when you're homeschooling your kids. No defect of the human heart suits it better than egoism. A tyrant is relaxed enough to forgive his subjects for failing to love him provided they do not love one another. Because see, if you actually began to love one another, care for one another, make the sacrifices necessarily necessary for home fire department, home schooling, home health, home, you know, education, to a community, you will begin to recreate those bands that connect a free society. And that is what despotism fears more than anything else. But you have to go that way. Can you hear that message? Can you act upon that message? So this poetic prophecy of Amos is clear that it is this cage that Israel has put itself into of its own making. The people refused to repent their priests did not know the song of Moses. They actually wanted to cancel Amos. The songs of the temple shall be howlings uh, with dead bodies, with faint souls in every place. Where you think, we can't do this ourselves. We have to have the government do it. That's a faint, dead body. That's how you get zombies wandering the land who do not care who they hurt as long as they get whatever it is their appetite demands of them. Why? Because they swallow up the needy and make the poor fall. What makes the poor fail today? How did they swallow the people like the grave or bite one another? I asked that question in the sidebar, but there are links to other articles there. I, I, I noticed that I could probably put in several more. But if you go back to Proverbs one you you'll see, Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole 
as those that go down into the pit. So when he talks about swallowing up the needy, this is what he's referring to in his poem. He's referring to Proverbs one twelve. And if we go back to verse 10, we see we are warned that if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And by verse 14, there is a warning about the system where you all have one purse. And like I said, the golden calf is that one purse. The central bank is that one purse. You have nothing in your purse of value except what you imagine it. And now people say, oh, well, I, I don't think that makes any difference in everything. It's what you believe. What, what you do tells us what you believe. And what you, what you do tells us what you really think. And you have consented. If you participate in these systems of Corbin, these systems of welfare, if you don't take care of your parents and take care of your children and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, you are consenting to the systems of the world that will bring about this despotism of the world, which is what you see. Now, people are saying, you know, I'm going to quit my job before I take the shot. What are you going to do? Yeah, You're going to need to start coming together. You would not be... People don't, you know, they're shaking their fists at all the crazy things they see going on, but they don't know what to do about it. They can they think, oh, well, we'll elect this guy. The, the guy you elected before brought about this vaccination. Now, maybe he was ill-advised. I don't know what his personal intent is. But I know that if you will not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the practice of pure religion, if you continue to cling to the covetous practices of the world as your salvation, you will not be saved. You are under a strong delusion. And you have need of repentance. You have need of thinking differently. So this is why we put all these things together, you know, the link to First Samuel 8, to the covetous practices that Peter says will entangle you in the elements of the world. What are the elements of the world? It will make you merchandise. It will curse your children. And all the prophets are warning of this same thing that is the way of destruction. The way of righteousness is the is the way of of Christ, which is the way of charity, which is the way of hope, which is the way of faith. People are not going that way. They are going the opposite of that way. And so therefore they have become merchandise. They have falsifying the balances by deceit. And now what they don't take in taxes from the king or in the nibble-nibble of the swarms of offices, they will take in inflation. And destruction comes. But we should not seek the kingdom out of fear. We should seek the kingdom out of love of God, the nature of God, and the nature of His righteousness. Remember, that's what it says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, the government of God, which is a government of charity, 
a government of voluntarism, a gov- government of personal choice and making sacrifices. Personal choice was given you to, by God. The exousia, the right to choose, was given to you by God. You may have given it to others who do not want to give it back to you. But you have a freedom of religion, a freedom of choosing to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You may still have to pay Caesar what you owe him, which is exactly what Christ said for those who had signed up for the system. Evidently, some of the apostles had not signed up for the system. They were idiotes. They were unregistered. But many were registered and eventually came a time where it says, okay, you can opt out of the system, but you're not going to get any more benefits from us. But fortunately, Christ already had put into place a system because he had already divided the people into the tens, hundreds, and thousands which needed to come together in faith, hope, and charity and then they were no more divided. They were bound together by the bands of liberty, of the perfect law of liberty. Unless you go that way of Christ, there will be no hope. There will be no salvation. You have to repent and go the way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called, the way. That is not the howling you see in your modern churches. They have bits and pieces of the gospel. But unless you have the whole truth, you do not have the truth. The definition of a lie is absent the whole truth you leave out something it isn't the truth anymore so you have to turn around and go the other way and uh, unfortunately many of the poor were bought with a stimulus check or welfare now now you have so many people on unemployment that they the people trying to hire people can't get people hired they're not looking for jobs They're still on unemployment, but they're making so much. They have incentivized sloth. They have incentivized not paying your fair share, doing what is right for society. They have incentivized selfishness. They have broken America. They have broken the world. They want to build it back in another image. It's not the image of Christ they're going to be building it back. But then again, do you even know what the image of Christ is? Christ did not come to save himself. He came that others might be saved. When you gather in the name of Christ, that is why you gather. And unless you are seeking a kingdom of charity and love and hope, You're not seeking the kingdom of God. If you're seeking the wages of unrighteousness, then you will not receive the righteousness of God into your heart or into your mind. You will actually be blinded like the guides you've been following all these years that have led you back into Egypt, back into bondage, cursed your children, And brought you to the edge of a precipice from which there shall be no return. So be not the dog in a basket. Be rather the repentant soul who seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Gather with one another. 
And now, since there are very few people that can hear this message, there are a lot more people that will hear it if you get together and start sending it out. We put it together on these web pages and in audios, and we've got up most of the audios for Amos already on that study of Amos and the side notes with all the links. Uh, I can see just when I look at the pages that I could add all kinds of more links because we have so many articles. I've probably created 20, 30 new links on that uh, website just this week alone. There's a lot of work to be done. You have to come together to do it. Don't leave it for others to do. If they build it, they don't want you to come. If you build it together, the bands that hold it together will be built up in you, built up in one another, and you will need those bands in the days ahead. So, anyway, I want to uh, say that we're going to have a Burning Bush Festival coming up here at the first weekend of September, and uh, there'll be some people, I think, are probably already either they're either preparing to come. Now, we'll see how many people make it. We have room now where we could have thousands of people come here. But there's a lot of work to do, and we need to do it together. So we encourage everybody to join the network, uh, email network. If you if you can't do that, we can put you in touch with one another. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't have access to the Internet, but... Uh, Join it in, if you're in Texas, join the Texas group. If you're in California, join the California group. And uh, start organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because there were going to be no loaves and fishes distributed amongst the people until they sat down in ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands. 20, 30, 40,000 people had to organize themselves pretty quick. There were 5,000 men in their family. Uh, so that was a lot of people there. And I don't know how long it took, but there were no loaves and fishes until they organized themselves. And, there, and the disciples of Christ were commanded that, to make the people do that first. So that's where you need to go, and so that's why we created the network. So uh, join the network. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Stop putting it off. And start helping spread this message. Because then you'll be gathering for the purposes of Christ. And in the character of Christ. So until then. Peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.